You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. The reading today is taken from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 18. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. 
Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The word of the Lord. Would you pray, pray with me? Our Father, we come to you and hear your words this morning from this text, this story of Elijah and your own intervention in his life, and we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Um, Father, we come to you as your people. You're our God, and we need a word from you. We need to hear you speak into our own times of despair and disappointment. We need to hear a word from you. We invite you to speak to us in ways that are deeply personal and powerful this morning. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You've done everything right. You've done everything that you were supposed to do in order for things to go well for you. Okay, you've, you've, you've completed your tasks. You feel like you've done a good job. You know, you've been faithful to the calling that was before you. And still, everything falls apart. And after these victories that you've had, things that you've accomplished, things that have gone well, still things don't go your way. Life doesn't go as you hoped that it would. And you find yourself utterly defeated. You find yourself despairing of life itself. Well, this, this is Elijah. This is Elijah's life before us, the, the, the life of the great prophet of God in our text this morning. He's prophesied, and, and he's had many good things that have happened, okay, uh, quite an impressive resume that he's building in terms of his prophetic ministry. He's prophesied that there wouldn't be rain for three years, and sure enough, there's been a great drought in the land. He's, he's determined that no rain would come by this prophetic word until he goes and intercedes to the Lord on behalf of the people, on behalf of the land. He's performed a miracle of multiplying flour and oil for this poor widow at Zarephath. And sure enough, she's had enough to sustain her through this period of drought. And then when that poor widow's son dies, he comes before the Lord. He, he seeks the Lord and in a great prayer of faith, sees this son who is dead, resurrected, raised again to life. And then, of course, uh, there's this great contest that we see of Elijah between the prophets of Baal and Asherah. There's 850 prophets on the one side, and there's Elijah alone by himself on the other. And they're in this competition, and, and Elijah in this competition before all the people of Israel calls down fire from heaven, and it burns up the, the sacrifice, and he's proven to be the true prophet of God. Right, consuming the, the offering, proving that Yahweh, not these other gods, but Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the true God of heaven and earth. And then Elijah, part of the story that actually often gets left out in popular retellings of it, Elijah then goes and slaughters them all, all these prophets. Right, the, 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 the very prophets who had, who had been after him right, and, and claiming to be the true prophets, the prophets who wanted him dead as the one who opposed them, they end up in this turn of events being slaughtered at the foot of Mount Carmel. And it's at this time then that Elijah then petitions the Lord, prays for rain to come, as we heard last week, and the rain pours. 
after years of famine. Vindication, victory. Here is the true prophet of God, Elijah, standing out among everyone else, faithful to the end, after years of persecution, years of hiding out, years of being an outcast, under constant threat of death, years of deep suffering and and challenge, patient endurance under the hand of God. And now finally, he gets the win. Finally, Elijah experiences victory, redemption. Only for his win to be turned here in our passage to yet another loss. Our passage begins, Ahab, the king of Israel, told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me, you know, so may the gods kill me, destroy me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, you're going to be dead, Elijah, by this time tomorrow. It's an amazing turn in the story. Ahab himself has just seen with his own eyes the mighty acts of God. And then he returns to his wife. And what does he say? He doesn't say, look what the Lord did. And look how, you know, Jezebel, your, your gods, the gods of Baal, have been proven to be not gods. And the God of, uh, God of Israel has been proven to be the true God, Yahweh. That's not what he says. He says, here's what Elijah did. He went out and slaughtered all of your prophets, Jezebel. Look what Elijah did. Again, not look to what the Lord did, but instead telling, Ahab told Jezebel, it says, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And and Jezebel's response, in keeping with her character, is no surprise. Again, she sends a messenger to Elijah saying that he's dead by this time tomorrow. And then Elijah, the text says in verse 3, was afraid. And he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. It's been interesting to read a few commentators on this passage, some of whom make much about this statement that Elijah was afraid and that he flees from the land of Israel, past the southern border, right, out of, out of uh, Ahab's jurisdiction. He's abandoned his post, some say. This is the prophet cowering in disobedience, running from the Lord. But is this what's happening here? Is this how, how you read it? Or do we find a man who's done his best, who's been faithful to the Lord for years, and he's endured years of suffering? hiding out, and now finds himself yet again under direct threat of his life. A man who's tired, a man who's deeply in need, and not so much a candidate for God's judgment as a candidate for the Lord's care. Elijah's at the end of his rope here. And here we find him running for safety, just wanting to be alone, left alone, even by his closest friend and servant. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree, asking to die, asking that the Lord would take his life. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been at a point in your own life where you found yourself despairing of life itself. You've done your best. 
You know, you, you've, you've done your best to be faithful to, to, to the Lord or faithful to what you felt you were supposed to be doing with your life. You, you've done your best and the Lord, he hasn't delivered or he hasn't seemed to deliver on his promises. He, you feel that you've been left by him, abandoned by him. You, you find yourself left in despair. There was a period in my life uh, where I spent five years in a small town as a, as a youth pastor. And this was during my early adulthood. And in those years, I felt that I had sacrificed some things. You know, I, I spent a lot of my time building youth programs in the community and spent a lot of my time with some of the elderly folks in our church and a lot of time um, engaging with people who are ex-convicts, who, uh, some of whom came and lived with me for a time. And we had, you know, something of a ha- halfway house that the church kind of ran out of my home and hosting community events and dinners and all of this. And by the end of these, these five years, you know, I came, if I'm honest, to have certain expectations, you know, um, I felt like I'd been faithful, you know, not not perfect, but but generally faithful to the Lord. And in this fa- kind of period of faithfulness, I found myself also having expectations, you know, that that the Lord would would provide for me the things that I'm asking Him for, you know, that the Lord would offer some kind of um, uh, deliver on the longings of my heart in that in that period of time, that the Lord would in some way vindicate me in my works. And in the end, I found myself at the end of those five years, um, how to put it, immensely let down, would be one way to put it. Uh, Maybe even in something of a spiritual depression, kind of uh, not sure where to turn and whether the Lord was going to deliver on his promises, whether he was truly faithful. You know, I, I thought that I'd been faithful to my calling, that there would be some return on that investment, and that the Lord simply didn't deliver what he was supposed to deliver. You know, I'd, been, I'd, I'd been faithful, and my own faithfulness, it turned out to be failing me in a certain way. Now, what about for you? What about for you in, in seasons of faithfulness, where you feel, you know, you haven't been perfect, but you've done your best, and with that, doing your best and offering your life as a living sacrifice to the Lord, you've, you've had certain expectations that have built up in terms of how the Lord might deliver to you. Maybe you're here and you're listening and you're not even a Christian and you wouldn't put it in these terms, but you still know the pattern. You still know this same pattern, that you've been good, you've tried your best, and you find yourself let down. Let down. You're defeated. Despairing. And maybe for some of you, you've even gotten to the point where Elijah is at here, where you're despairing of life itself. You don't even want to live anymore. You feel so let down. And if that's you this morning, well, you've got a friend in Elijah. You've got a friend in Elijah. He's been there, too. And maybe an important word for us to consider this morning is that the Christian life is not easy. You know, and it's not, it's not the life that, that if you live it, you're definitely going to be filled with deep happiness all the time. That's not what we find, certainly not in Elijah. But that sometimes the, the, the Christian life faithfulness to the Lord will in fact lead you to times of depression, to times where you feel deeply let down by the Lord, where you find yourself with all of your needs, all of your desires, completely and utterly unmet, and find yourself despairing, even of life itself. And the question that I want us to ask this morning from the text is this, that when this man's let down, depressed, despairing of life, How is it 
that his God responds to him? How is it that God responds to him in this time of despair and distress and darkness? Because I believe that if we, if we engage this question, we'll find something of how the Lord might respond to you and to us. Has responded, will respond. And what I believe we'll find here through the life of Elijah is that first, God meets us in our needs, at our point of need. That God hears us in our anguish as we come to him. And that God speaks, finally, a word of hope to us in our despair. So first, God meets us in our need. Just at the point where Elijah literally lays down his life in hope that God would take his life, that his life would be over. It's at this point when the Lord sends care Elijah's way. And behold, we're told in verse 5, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And Elijah looks up, he looks around him, and he sees hot food and drink. And he eats and he drinks, we're told, and he sleeps. And then we're told in verse 7, And the angel of the Lord came again after his, his sleep and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And Elijah arose and ate and drank. Now remember that Elijah has fled in fear. He's asked to die. And he's feeling that he's the only one who's taking a stand in the name of the God of Israel. And what does the Lord do? It's, it's interesting. You know, how, how might we expect that God would respond to Elijah with these feelings of despair, with his feelings of just wanting to die? Like, that's not a good desire, is it? Um, uh, his, his feelings that he's the only one left, which later in the text we find uh, corrected, um, that there's others who are faithful. What does the Lord do? How does he respond to Elijah in this place? Does he rebuke Elijah for his lack of faith? Does he correct Elijah and say, well, that's not exactly true. Let me, let me tell you the truth of your situation. Does he offer advice to Elijah about how to move forward, what to do next, how to think more clearly about all this? No. No, none, none of these things. But here's how the Lord responds. Through his angelic messenger. Touch. Food. Drink. Rest. In the shade of a tree. And whether you are here today as one who is in need of God's care in a low point in your life, or as a potential messenger of God's care to others around you at a low point in their life. There's a good word here for us to consider of how the Lord engages in care for those who are in deep distress. Now for those in depression, tired and weary, sometimes the greatest gift that you can give them and the greatest gift that the Lord offers to us in these times are in sending a messenger to offer touch. Food, drink, and rest. There is a time when words fail, the moment. When depression is overwhelming. And the most appropriate gifts are these. And the Lord knows those times. He knows those times. And we can trust him with these times. And he knows your times. He knows your times. For those who are in deep distress or darkness or despairing, even now, he knows your times. And I trust that you'll find that this God, your God, is faithful to you through these times, especially in these times of despair, as the one who offers care for both body and soul, 
that he sends messengers your way. God meets Elijah in his need, and so he does in ours. And now, as we see in the next portion, God hears us in our anguish. Let's look at verse 8 and following. And Elijah went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, or Sinai, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Again, it's a remarkable thing that when the Lord actually gets around to speaking a word to Elijah in his distress, at his point of need, that he doesn't offer a word of rebuke, not a word of correction, not a word of advice, but instead he asks a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah's response is raw. He said, I've been very very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Now again, some scholars have taken Elijah here to be exaggerating. You know, I'm the only one left. And then the Lord says later, actually there's 7,000 of you. Um, but, But I think that again misses the point of where Elijah is at here. Because in a sense, Elijah is absolutely right in saying, I'm the only one left. Where was everybody else at Mount Carmel when he was standing alone on the mountain in front of close to a thousand other prophets? Where was everybody else? He was alone. He stood alone before them. In the midst of a covenant-breaking people, Elijah had taken a stand in the name of God. He'd been very zealous, very jealous for the Lord. And we might pause to consider for a moment his own zeal in the midst of our own culture and time, when it's far easier to blend in with the prophets of Baal. You know, far easier to not take a stand on any number of issues. How many of us will stand against king and country in the name of the Lord? Even if a thousand prophets of Baal or, or a thousand prophets of secularism are standing against us, how many of us will stand? Well, Lord, help us and strengthen us, your people, that we might be faithful, even as Elijah is faithful here. And we can return back to the point. Here, Elijah, his point of need, his frustration, his fear, his anxiety, what's remarkable here is that the Lord invites Elijah to speak, to speak, and so to be heard by the Lord. And so it is with you. So it is with you. That some of you today are at a point of need. Some of you come with great burdens, uh, great frustrations, fears, anxiety. And perhaps what you're expecting from the Lord is that he'd take it away, or even take you away from your troubles, to give you some kind of a solution. But instead, in fact, what he invites you to do is to speak. And he asks you, what are you doing here with your own fears, and anxieties. He invites you to speak to him, to bring your burdens to him, that like Elijah, you've come to the Lord for refuge and help. You've come for a solution. But in coming, it might be that the Lord first will invite you simply to bear your heart to him, to bring your burdens to him, to pray. Now, rather than avoiding these things, right, and just going on, carrying your burdens, trying to ignore them or medicate them through Netflix or, or whatever fun you might do on an evening, instead of actually bringing these things before the Lord. But what do we see with Elijah? He runs to the Lord. 
he runs to the Lord. And he's running on a far journey to go and commune with the Lord. And we find God inviting him there to speak and to be heard from the Lord, from his Father, from his Heavenly Father. Maybe this is a time for some of us to do the same. That with our burdens, with our anxieties, that we would bring these things to the Lord. That we'd run to him and find ourselves addressed by him. What are you doing here? For all of us who are broken down, in despair, wondering where the Lord is, we can know this from Elijah, that God invites you to speak with him and so to be heard by him. So finally, uh, we've first seen that God meets us in our needs. He provides for us according to our basic needs in these times of despair. He hears us in our anguish. And third, he speaks a word of hope. Look with me at verses 11 and, uh, verse 11 and following. And God said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? It's the second time that this question is asked. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way. And to summarize the rest of the passage, at this point, Elijah is told to go and to anoint three different people, two kings and a prophet. King Hazael, King Jehu and then Elisha the prophet, with the promise that each one will be part of God's judgment over his enemies. That none will escape from God's judgment in the end. That God is going to do what he does and execute judgment and justice in the land. And on top of that, that God has kept a remnant of 7,000 in Israel who still belong to him. Finally, finally, Elijah receives this word of hope. A word of hope. God is faithful Elijah's despair is not going to be the final word, he finds. But God is going to do right by him. His promises are going to stand. Now, to be clear, this word of hope that the Lord offers to Elijah here, this is not, this, this doesn't end up guaranteeing that Elijah's life is smooth from here on out. He, he still has battles to fight. He still has things to, to, to suffer through. Uh, there will be more battles to come. But what's important to see here is that the Lord responds to his fears and his anxieties, his dismay and his feelings of defeat and despair by telling him the truth and by situating Elijah's feelings within a larger story of what God is doing in the world. See, for, for, all, of, for all of Elijah's fears and all of his feelings of despair, the Lord confirms that's not the final story. That's not the whole story, Elijah. There's more going on here than what you understand or than what you see. And so it is with us. I, I don't know what kinds of fears and despair you're facing this morning. But whatever they are, there is a word of hope for you. 
and your despair. A word from the Lord that situates your problems as, as overwhelming as they can be, as impossible as they seem to, to solve or to resolve at this time, that there's a word from the Lord that situates all of your problems within a bigger story of what God is doing in the world and what God is doing in your life and accomplishing even through the troubles that you face. And, and, and the greater story, it says this, the injustices that you face will not win in the end. The problems that you face, they will not overtake you in the end. That the Lord is faithful, that the despair that you feel, that all is lost, that God himself has let you down, is not the final word. But instead, that all things will be judged in the end by a holy and righteous and good and faithful God. The valleys will be raised up and mountains laid low. Wickedness punished and condemned. And the righteous vindicated. This is God's promise. But of course, we can have a difficult time believing this, can't we? That when we're faced with these troubles and trials, uh, it's difficult to believe God's promise here. How do we know that the Lord will do it? What will be his sign? Well, let's listen to the sign he gives to Elijah. And he said to Elijah, again back in verse 11, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. There's something here about the nature of God revealed to Elijah. Where the God of all creation of all power and might, the king of the universe. He isn't in the great wind or in the smashing of the rocks or the earthquakes or in the great storm, but in the sound of a low whisper is where Elijah encounters him, a voice. And when Elijah heard it, it says, he wrapped his face with a cloak. And God reveals himself to Elijah here in this sound of the, of the low whisper. What's the point? Many of you here have experienced great disappointments, and you continue to in your life. Some of you have trusted the Lord, or maybe just tried to live a good life, but you feel that you've been let down, you've been defeated, maybe even experiencing great despair, maybe even at the prospect of not wanting your life to carry on. And as we've seen with Elijah, God cares for you in your moment of need, and he will care for you. And he invites you to speak to him, to be heard by him. And he invites you to hear a word of hope. But hear this also, that God's presence and God's care, though at times it may come in powerful ways, in explicit ways, as with fire and earthquakes and more striking modes, but characteristically, it comes through the almost imperceptible sound of a low whisper. And isn't this just the way that God has chosen to reveal himself? in his son, in Jesus, in a little town, in an obscure time in history, in an obscure little corner of the Roman Empire. No glamour, no palace, no royal officials, but quietly, almost imperceptible, still, small, a low whisper in the dark. And Jesus grows to be a man, like other men, Son of Mary and Joseph, learning his trade, learning the scriptures, eventually to be crucified as a common criminal among criminals on a cross. 
still, small. It's a low whisper, almost imperceptible. But it's in this very imperceptible whisper where in the presence, where, where the presence of the Almighty God is made manifest among us, and the word of grace is spoken. That though all of your faithfulness has failed you, though you've tried to do what's right, but you've left, been left disappointed and even in despair, like Elijah, we hear the word of the Lord that I will never leave you. We hear God's encounter with Elijah in the low whisper, his own presence as a gift to Elijah. Our Lord comes for us. And Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord, the word of the Father, spoken into the world imperceptibly, but definitively, he comes for us. And in all the obscurity of his life, death, and resurrection, he offers us a word of hope. He offers us his own presence. He offers us the word of Christ. That though your own, our own, unfaithful, or faithfulness will fail us in the end, our valiant efforts will fail us. We will find ourselves despairing. God, we find, God will never forsake you. He's committed to you. He's present to you. He'll care for you. He'll provide for you. He'll invite you to speak to him, and he'll speak to you a word of hope, even if only heard in a low whisper, the substance of which is the name of Jesus, who has lived who's died and who's been raised again for us, that we might have life in him. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would minister among us by your spirit, especially to those who are facing challenging times in these days. I ask that you would move us by your spirit to run to you in our times of despair that we would run to you and find you addressing us and inviting us to pour out our hearts to you. To communicate our burdens to you. And to find that you, you invite us to cast our burdens upon you and that your burden is light. Father, minister to us, your people. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.